This is Rated R, Real Estate Uncensored, hosted by Derek Anthony, right here in the great state of Texas. What's up, y'all? Bringing the best folks in the biz with some great energy, knowledge, and special guests, and maybe, yes, maybe, even a few surprises. Featuring Derek's Dimes, Mia's Street Beats, My Favorite Things, and many more unscripted segments for your pleasure. This program is affiliated with the Woodmont Company, a national commercial real estate company based in downtown Fort Worth, covering the entire United States for all your commercial real estate needs. From brokerage development and property management, including tenant rep, leasing, buy and sell, and all types of asset classes, retail, restaurant, food and beverage, office, medical, flex, and industrial. Be sure to check them out at woodmont.com for all the latest listings and information about the Woodmont Company. Be sure to subscribe to our show and check out our site, thepodcaststudio.net. Welcome in, y'all. Now let's do this. Here's your host, Derek Anthony. Well, welcome listeners. Thank you for tuning in. We're excited for our guest of honor today. Uh, my name is Derek Anthony. We have Mia. What's up? Hello. Hello, everyone. Mia's bringing the female perspective and the younger crowd perspective to uh, to the market for us. Uh, this is Rated R, Real Estate Uncensored, and we are based right here in our downtown Fort Worth studio um, here at the Woodmont Company on 2100 West 7th Street. If you have not been to Cowtown, I would highly recommend it. So this next guest is the Chief Development Officer and COO based in Vegas. A brother and sister started this chain and restaurant, um, uh, I would say restaurateur, uh, Lois and Allen in 1976 in Little Italy in Delaware, named after their grandfather, Philip. They have over 100 stores currently and just made a huge acquisition for a complimentary brand and expect to be 500 stores by 2025, excuse me. And so, Mr. David Bloom, say hello. Hello, hello. Good to speak with you. Yeah, thank you for being here uh, based in Vegas. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of what you do, how is Vegas overall with the pandemic? What's going on? Are they slowly opening? Yeah, all the uh, hotels have now announced that they're fully open, essentially, or will be mid-month. They've opened, reopened uh, the pools, you know, with what they call day clubs. They're bringing back live entertainment. Um, and, you know, so all the venues are starting to, to open up. It's been actually busy here over the weekends for through almost throughout the pandemic. People just wanted to get away. But really now this allows the convention business, the business traveler to come back. Yeah, the the famous ICSC show that I guess got pushed yeah. into uh, December yeah. is what I heard. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a big one. In the real estate world, that's our big trade show that uh, we all go to and shake hands and, and try to do deals. Um, I, and I, I guess as a, I've never lived there as, as a resident, but you're probably sick of the, of the strip and probably hardly ever go there. Right. No, we, I go down for a lot of meetings. Um, people are in and out of Vegas all the time. It actually is a really super convenient place for us to do business because people are coming here anyhow, mm-hmm. whether they're coming from domestic or international locations, this is sort of a, a great place to hook up. A lot of the conferences that we attend and have to go to are here, so I can just drive down there 
And really, you know, we're in the restaurant business and some of the world's best restaurants and nightclubs and bars. This is sort of the, you know, the corner of Maine and Maine. If you have one in Tokyo or Hong Kong or London or New York or L.A., you have one here as well. Yeah, so, so we if, get to see sort of what's coming and the coolest of everything. And it's just a great town. Is Yoli still in business? I don't know. <laughs> I used to be in the consumer electronic business and we used to go every January at the CES show. And that was one staple to me. It's a Brazilian steakhouse where you go and just turn the red card or oh, the yeah. green card yeah. and go starving. But it's, it's a, it's a experimental um, experience. I sa- I should say. So those places are everywhere. I don't know. Yeah, those are, <laughs> there's a bunch of them here. And Bogo de Chao um, and yeah. Texas State, Brazil. They're everywhere, Derek. Yeah, but yeah. Yoli's was like the the place in mm-hmm, Vegas, yeah, mm-hmm. to take your clients. Anyway, David Bloom is with uh, Capriotti's and now uh, Wing Zone under the umbrella. So before we get into that uh, that that detail, give us kind of a quick fifty thousand foot level of kind of where you started, maybe school, and then kind of progressed into your current position of of some of your past experiences. Sure, I'll make it quick. Um, I started in a restaurant business in New York, New York City, and uh, grew up in the kitchens and uh, some very well-known restaurants there and went to school actually here in Vegas um, many, many years ago, um, but just really for the opportunity to work and, um, you know, learn in a really interesting environment. Um, and then actually uh, left here and went to work for a group that's based in Dallas. Um, it was the, it was Norman Brinker back then. It was Bennigan's and Steak and Ale and it became chilies and macaroni grill and everything else. Um, so I moved to Dallas and uh, kind of really uh, started running restaurants professionally, I guess. And uh, did that for a number of years, worked in the hotel business, food and beverage hotel business. You know, my wife and I moved, I think when we moved here, it was our 18th move. So we kind of lived all over. Oh, my Lord. You know, really for business reasons. But I learned along the way how to scale companies um, I was one of the guys that was very early on with Quiznos. There were 18 restaurants when I joined. And when I left, we had 5,000 restaurants in 28 countries. That's amazing. So, and I was one of the largest franchisees and area developers and um, and then led development for the company. Um, and so it, that's really where I learned to, to grow companies at scale. And then have done that several times since in other verticals, as well as restaurants, education and home services. But restaurants are sort of my love and, and uh, back in it now and uh, really enjoy it. So Mia, as many times as he's moved, 18, that's almost as many years as you've been on this earth. Okay, I'm okay. not that young. But <laughs> I'm old enough to drink. So. I, I think that's the record. I, my my uh, sister and brother-in-law moved about 15 times and he worked for GE Way back yeah. in the '80s, when GE was the, uh, kind of a blue chip company, but um, anyway, that's that's amazing that uh, you stayed in it. I mean, you, obviously, it's a passion of yours, and um, you know, being in the 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 threshold of of the kitchen and the culture and training, and we do a lot of food and beverage deals too. And I always tell people and, and landlords that it's about the operator, it's about the culture. Is that is that guy or girl or couple or whoever's running it? Um, do they have the passion? Do they have the ability to work 80 hours a week and, and really live it and breathe it? Otherwise, there's a chance, a real good chance it may fail. Um, I, I'm talking about the independent guys. The franchisees are a little bit different because you you guys, the franchisors, has, have kind of the 
the the cookie cutter model that is, should work if you do A, B, C, and D to get to the end. Um, but uh, it's really good to hear that you're passionate and obviously been in the food and beverage business for a while. So um, just a little bit about Capriati's. I kind of, on the, on the start of the show, 100 plus stores, um, I think the last thing I read, David, you guys were looking to get to to maybe 500 stores in five or six years. Speak to a little bit about the growth that you're, you're targeting in 2021 and uh, maybe if there's a, a specific geographic target of trade that you're targeting in the country. Yeah, Capriati's has 100. We have 115 locations open. We've got about 230 in development, 40 of which will open this year. Um, so we're, we've kind of hit that inflection point in the hockey stick, so to speak. And it's really all over. It's uh, coast to coast. We're in 20 some odd states today. Um, but obviously we have a, a lot of open space left. So Capriati's has really just taken off, especially in the last few years. Um, and, you know, it started, as you said, in Delaware, actually. It started in Joe Biden's hometown and, and Capriati's is his oh, favorite wow. huh. sandwich and uh, we've been, um, this is not a political statement at all. I really am pretty agnostic when it comes to that. But um, we've been, you know, catering his uh, transition teams in the White House for a long time. Oh, that's time. cool. Yeah, that is cool. And uh, so, you know, we're, we're sort of a hometown, old, old style, you know, Italian deli. But we're, we're actually the only company, restaurant company in the U.S., sandwich company that roasts whole butterball turkeys in-house every night. We're actually oh, yeah. the largest buyer, restaurant buyer, butterball turkeys in the world. Butterball raises a line of turkeys just for us called the Capriati Super Tom. You know, and that's really, we're about, in Capriati's, we're about the food. We are the only national chain that serves Snake River Farms. American Wagyu is our roast beef and our cheesesteaks win best of awards all over the country. Is it so, dinner time yet? I mean, come on. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm so yeah. That's, that's the downside of my job is I don't tend to lose a lot of weight. <laughs> I, I got to test that. I make sure you're make sure it's good. Um, one of the other things that I've read, which is interesting, um, the the current I say the last 14, 18 months, uh, especially now with COVID, is these ghost kitchen concepts, and I, I believe you guys might have a model. Maybe speak a little bit about that. Sure. Um, Capriati's and Wing Zone. You know, the restaurant business today is really almost the technology enabled service sure. business. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been, you know, pretty heavily investing in tech for years. And I think that's one of the reasons our brands have continued to do so well, even during you know, the pandemic. Uh, but a couple of years ago, we, um, we had already been really deep with all the delivery aggregators and had national agreements with Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber Eats and Postmates and everybody else. And then we started aligning uh, with the large ghost kitchen providers. And there were really three cloud kitchens, which was uh, backed by Uber, um, Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber, uh, Kitchen United, which was backed by uh, Google Ventures and now Kroger, um, and Reef, uh, based out of Miami, which is backed by SoftBank, the largest private equity in the world. So we have national agreements with them. We've launched with all of them and doing really well. And uh, sort of simultaneous to that, we've launched virtual brands in our ghost kitchens along with Capriati. So that's doing really well. And it's, you know, kind of where the industry is going still early on and a bit of the wild west, um, but tremendous amount of upside. I love the the virtual kitchen idea because it allows with little infrastructure and cost outside of food costs and some staff and training. It allows like a Caparati's to 
spin off another brand. Let's say they want to do salads. Let's say they want to do bowls. Let's say they want to do something different. There's right. there's no brick and mortar. It's just a menu on an app, order it and it spits it out or they come pick it up or it's delivered. It's uh, it's very interesting. And that's not good for our business doing leases, leases in brick and mortar. But uh, but at, again, if, if it's if it's a success, then like you said, I mean, at the virtual side, you, you may end up opening up a brick and mortar because it was so successful, um, de- yeah. depending on the math and, and the cost to get in. Um, yeah, we don't we don't see it as a uh, a replacement for retail. It's a complement to retail. And in some markets, in some parts of town, you know, great street lo- front locations are always going to do best. Ghost kitchens in some parts of town, in some parts of the country, um, just makes sense. And so, it, it really is a brand allows us to maximize the you know the real estate in any given market and and do what's appropriate in whatever part of town and and make sure that we're really penetrating the market. One of the things that I've made big news in, I believe, January is uh, your purchase of Wing Zone. Um, I believe 60 plus stores. And um, are they going to be operating separately? Are there be some synergies and some cohesion there from a corporate sure. management perspective? And then how, how do you all see that now with you guys managing them or at least owning them on, on the uh, just the everyday uh, workload? Well, we look, when we you know went out to look for acquisitions, we were looking for complementary brands that also were technologically enabled, heavy off-premise consumption, and really were kind of where the trends were going. Wingzone fit that, um, gave us gives us a really good launch pad. About half the shops are in the U.S. and the other half are international. Um, mm-hmm. We run them as separate brands, but there's a tremendous amount of synergy and sort of back of the house shared services, you know, finance, accounting, marketing, IT, franchise development, real estate, all that kind of stuff is a shared service. Um, But when they show up on the street, they're separate. So you walk into a Capriati's or you walk into a Windsor in their separate locations. Did you all bring in the C-level guys over and the gals, or are you all just kind of still working that out? Or what's the, what's the- No, we- we utilize the C-level for Capriati. Capriati is acquired wing zone, so that C-level team is overseeing both brands. And we and we really, you know, start, started to level up what I would call the mid to upper management, you know, within the department. So additional IT people, additional marketing, training and operations, and supply chain, and all those folks to, to handle a second brand. It seems the, the wing business is... Um, there's a lot of holes there. I mean, the mm-hmm. Wingstop is, I guess, the the number one the, guy. The number one guy. But uh, us being in commercial real estate, I get a call probably once a week with a wing concept. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking there is a void there, and hopefully you guys can take advantage of that in the short term and long term. But I mean, just from an economic perspective, if I was going to buy into a franchise. Wing maybe I don't know I'm just guessing ten wings cost maybe fifty cents to a two bucks and you sell it for eight that or nine or ten that's a that's a really good margin. <laughs> yeah, I, well I say first of all the um, you know Wingstop is the you know eight hundred pound gorilla with something like fifteen hundred locations and we're actually number two we're the se- we're the second largest with seventy locations. Yeah, so yeah, that's a huge you, disparity. Yeah, there's there's quite a gap there. There are a lot of virtual wing concepts, you know, mm-hmm. being run out of the back of Chili's or Outback Steakhouses or places like that. But 
Um, and I think the challenge in the wing business is actually the, the prices, the commodity price of wings have gone through the roof. Um, and so it's actually not a great margin for wings, bone-in wings specifically. Um, but the consumption of wings, it's, it's a challenge because the consumption of wings has gone up so much. So it's become a staple. It's become a really good you know, business. But I will say it's going to be very, very competitive. And once again, you know, the people with the best technology, the best consumer-facing you know, apps and ease of ordering and speed and quality and all, that's who's going to win. Yeah, and, uh, that's that's kind of our approach for sure. Well, since wings are on trend right now, when you guys were looking to acquire another brand, did you guys intentionally look for a wing brand or did this one just kind of fall into your lap and then it just coincided with the wing trend? No, we had sort of what I would call these are the parameters we're looking for off premise technology enabled. There is no number, you know, the ability to become number one or number two with with the investment and the expertise that we were going to bring to the table um, and really just kind of fit within our wheelhouse where we're sort of fast, casual, up, you know, off premise. We're not full service guys. We're not QSR people where we're, we're that, that's our wheelhouse. So it had to fit what we're looking for from a trend and business standpoint. Mm-hmm. It had to fit what we were, you know, where our expertise lies and then, Culturally, it had to be something that we could absorb because, you know, when you're integrating two companies, if you don't do that well, um, it, it often has bad consequences. So it was it was really all the above. And mm-hmm. um, but it came together pretty fast. It was about six months from start to finish. With the states that may have uh, well did close down during COVID, um, assuming you had some operators there. Were you guys heavily involved, maybe not you in terms of your scope of work at, at the company, but the finance guys um, helping the PPP and maybe just a reach out of, hey, we understand that you're really stressed and you've been closed for whatever, three, four months, especially in Michigan and California and some other states. Were you in the loop on that? Is that something you can speak to? Sure. Um, look, we're really politically involved in terms of helping form um, the directive. So one of our board members on the phone with Steve Mnuchin literally every week. And um, we're very involved in the, at the federal level, you know, helping do that. We're very involved in helping people get PPP money. We got PPP loans for all of our operate, operators. But I will tell you, it's another record year for us as a brand. We have record sales, record growth, record profitability. And, you know, that's that, that was a little surreal because a lot of the world was kind of collapsing around us. And when we did the wing zone, I always told people, I think we're operating at like the top 2% of the industry. And when we did the wing zone acquisition and you're doing the investor deck and you're real, and dealing with very, very sophisticated investors, you know, you have to substantiate that. It was interesting because we ended up being in like the top 2% of the industry in terms of performance. So and, and we were very fortunate, uh, but at the same time, we know lots of folks that have been devastated. And so. forgive me, I, I didn't see it on the, online, but uh, do you have drive-throughs in your typical sites? No, typical sites are not drive-through. They're, like I said, heavy delivery pickup. We have some, what I'd call pickup windows versus drive-through windows, where people order ahead on their app. And is that something through. you might change in the future? We're testing them right now. We have a couple of franchisees that want to do them. The issue for us is we cook to order and cooking a cheese steak or something on the grill takes, you know, five to seven minutes. Yeah. So 
we're, we're, you know, for us, it's really about the quality of product and not sacrificing that. So we'll see how it works. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and speaking of COVID, obviously, you know, I, t- I tell people, I use this analogy all the time, that the Forrest Gump, if you watch Forrest Gump, and he was one of, you know, 600 shrimping boats on the ocean, and then the hurricane and the typhoon hit, and they survived, and they became gazillionaires, as he says. Um, and I think, you know, it's almost like a form of Darwinism where there's survival of the fittest and the operators that were not doing a good job and wanted to get into the POS and the deliverables in terms of, you know, pickup service and so forth. It really escalated that that bandwidth and that timeline of, OK, well, we're kind of dipping our toe in it. But it was like, oh, crap, we better get on this and. You know, instead of a four year cycle, it turned out to be a six month cycle and the folks that really adapted and took the risk and it paid off big time. So speak a little bit about what you guys did to kind of dodge and weave and and address this. Yeah, I will tell you that um, for us, you know, I think the most overused word I've heard in the last six months is pivot. And it was not a pivot. It was just part of our technology investment, our roadmap to we. One of our board members is one of the, is on the board of you know major major international company operates in China. So we knew what was coming. We've been investing in this stuff for years, and by the time COVID hit, we we're already really good at it. We had to make some small adjustments like curbside delivery and contactless delivery, adding those options. But everything else was already in place. And and candidly, I can't imagine trying to adapt to those things and pivot in the midst of COVID. That, that would have been really hard. And so the other thing we saw was everybody else pulled out of the market. All the advertisers pulled out and we, we felt like we were in a really good position. We had plenty of cash. And so we doubled down on advertising and we're able to really drive traffic to our stores because we are one of the few people open. Right. Right. And so for us, again, I think a big part of the the success that we've been able to have is because all of it was worked out. We were already really good at it. We knew how to make money at it. It wasn't an experiment. And about halfway through, we said pretty much what you said, and it sounds kind of rough, but we we realized that whoever came out of this um, strong, there were going to be a lot of opportunities for. Um, and and that's how I think about 2021. Yeah, I think that, that goes across all businesses like brokerage. There's a lot of brokerages that, that closed up yeah. or, or shut down or laid off and um, and, and, but you look at automobile, you look at real estate, um, in terms of residential, you look at lending and refi, everything is just record levels. It's amazing. Um, before we get off subject, I, I do want to, I did read a press release about the community give back of Steve Yeager's deal there in Vegas. If, if were you involved in that and just speak a little bit of how you guys gave back to the community? Yeah. You know, in Vegas, we have 40 something restaurants. Um, we're kind of the we're certainly the largest national restaurant brand based in Vegas. And it, Vegas is still a small town for all of the, you know, what you call them, gazillionaires or gabillionaires yes. that live mm-hmm. here. You know, all the money that floats around town. It's still a small town where everybody knows each other. And we all live pretty close to each other, all the pro athletes and everybody lives close. So really being a, you know, just a good part of the community and caring about the community just it's part of the, the fabric of Vegas. It's one of the things I think makes Vegas so good is everybody knows each other. People are really giving. Um, and so Steve Yeager was 
local politician that put it together and called up one of our guys and we we're like, yeah, we're in. So we ended up doing thousands and thousands of meals serving hospitals and first responders. That's great. And totally on a different spectrum, though, um, not to get political, but there's been talk, a lot of talk about the $15 minimum wage. Um, I have my druthers and, and my opinion. My opinion is that uh, somebody's going to pay for it. I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I, I think, you know, the associates that you have working the retail level and, and dealing with consumers, um, I don't envy them. It's a tough job and and people complaining and, and bitching about things. But um you know, I think at the end of the day, somebody's going to have to pay for it, either a margin hit with the operator or uh, just a pass through with, you know, going to a Capriati's instead of, you know, a seven ninety nine sandwich. Now it's going to be twelve ninety nine. Do you guys do you have any opinion of that or do you want to comment? Sure. You know, first of all, I don't think the price differential is that drastic. Um, you know, it's really you add some extra cost, call it 50 cents to a sandwich and you're probably covering the cost. And we're in some markets, we're close to a $15 wage today. Anyhow. Okay. But, but I also will tell you operators are smart, you know, business people are smart and they're going to figure out how to lower costs. And one of the easiest ways to lower costs is to invest in technology. So you start actually kind of pulling bodies out of the restaurant and replacing them. So we're already investing in robotics. We're, we're already testing all that stuff. And, you know, so again, we have this roadmap. We're going to be way ahead of it. And we have a plan to, to make sure we deal with it because it's not a surprise. We actually have a consulting company we're working really closely with on another project. Um, and, you know, part of their, it's a global firm and they're based out of Sweden in one of their major, and they have a $25 wage there. Wow. So you know, it's, that's our, our assumption is wages are not going down ever. And I, and I agree with you. It, there's something's going to give. And if, if they go more auto, automated, um, so be it. I think, you know, Mia's, mm-hmm. Mia's demographic, that they're comfortable with that. Me, I'm a little older and like to talk to people, but it is what it is. And I'll adjust. And if you don't, then bye-bye, Derek. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but you know what it is? The people that get taken, what gets taken out of the operation is the repetitive job of sitting over a fryer or a grill yeah. or chopping vegetables. So it's that repetitive stuff. And when I'll tell you, you talk to people that are working, employees that are working in those restaurants, they love it because it gives them more time to interact with consumers. Yeah, this has been a great conversation. One of the things that I wanted to point out, if you're interested in being a franchise owner, you can go to ownacaparatis.com or just search uh, Caparatis and check them out. Um, the, um, The investment is definitely worth it. And they have a huge growth plan and obviously with the wing component uh, makes it uh, even more advantageous. So to finish up, uh, David, we we have a fun exercise called My Favorite Things. Are you ready? (laughs) He's like, like, here we go. He's like, what am I getting myself into? Mia Mia's never watched the sound of music, so it's a little frightening to me. You gotta stop calling me out like that. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. That's it. So I'm gonna give you a word and you tell me the favorite thing of whatever that is. So I'm gonna start with property, which is easy. So it, any property in the world, it could be Buckingham Palace, maybe a hotel you stayed at or, or what have you. What do you think, what, what is that for you? I lived in Kenya, it would be a safari camp in Kenya. Wow. What, that's awesome. So land is kind of the same thing. Like if there's a certain piece of land, like you were in a mountain region or you were in Scotland or playing golf somewhere, what would that be? It would be in Vancouver. 
Canada. I love that city. It is so beautiful. Mia, you need to go. Someone take me. It is. If you hear this podcast, <laughs> take me. I, I haven't been to Europe and London and, and all that yet, but I was in Vancouver and I was like, is this North America? It is beautiful. I agree with you. Your favorite concept, I'm assuming it's going to be <laughs> concept, like restaurant concept. You know, I, I still do. I still love the chef-driven stuff. Um, and we have some great sh- local chefs here in Vegas, so that we're that we we'll support and we're involved with. So it's sort of that one-off stuff that you know, there's only literally one of you can go to, and you know, you know the the staff and the team, and they do. Something yeah, I love that. It's just like kind of a diners, drive-ins, and dives, or Guy Fieri's concept, just a one-off. Yeah, and he's and he's a UNLV guy, by the way. Okay, oh, is he? Your favorite city to live in or visit or just do whatever? Wow. Uh, That's going to be a tough one. I'm a small town person. So it would be a small town in um, Germany or Switzerland or Austria, kind of down the southern region. My wife grew up in Germany, so we go there. I love Germany. I have family in Wiesbaden. What? I just learned something. I'm actually part German as well. Uh, Your favorite restaurant to dine in? Uh, it might be uh, Jean George von Grichen. I don't know if you guys know him. He's a very famous chef out of New York City. He has a steakhouse in Vegas called Prime. We need to be friends with David Bloom. He sounds like he, he's yeah, very cultured. Next culture. time we're in New yes. York, Derek, we're yes. there. Your favorite drink? I'm a big uh, wine consumer, and so I, I I belong to a small investment group. We, we invest in. Uh, winemakers and uh, growers and they send us special deals on their bottles that you can't you know buy so are you a white or red guy oh a red red okay the good answer the pinots in uh oregon is is my favorite oregon's a good spot um favorite person either dead alive you may not know them but you want to meet them it could be your dad or grandpa or something else it would have been winston churchill I like this guy. I've been watching The Crown with my wife. I'm like, this is an amazing time of, like, in in Europe. Uh, yeah, I agree uh, for sure. Uh, your favorite music artist, either band or solo act? I grew up in New York listening to jazz, so John Coltrane is still one of my favorites. But I really like it all. I'm actually, one I've always wanted to learn an instrument. So during the pandemic, I picked up guitar, and now I have like three guitars in my office. Yes. Here. Three chords in the truth, baby. Let's go. I, I suck, but it's fun. <laughs> I love that. No, it takes your mind off. It's supposed to be good for the brain. Mia, did you ever play instruments in high school or elementary school? I played the flute. <laughs> Not as impressive. Well, I played trumpet and sax and baritone, and I do play guitar as well, so that's awesome. Well, what didn't you play, I guess? How about a celebrity that you, I don't want to say look up to, but maybe just have like this... Uh, Guilty admiration? pleasure or admiration for? Um, I think Matthew uh, McConaughey. McConaughey <gasps> is, uh, you know, he spent a lot of time in Texas, and you know, you, I'm a, I, I'm a kid from the Bronx, and you wouldn't think Texas and a kid from, you know, growing up where I did would get along, but they're really the same. They're just genuine, down to earth, good, hardworking people, and I really appreciate his. As, Having stayed that way, seems like you stayed that as way. As my wife always says, he, you know, he doesn't wear deodorant. 
Yeah. Like, how is that? Imp- why is that important in my life to know that? But whatever. Uh, yeah, he's he's a he's it. Now the rumor is he might run for governor in Texas. I heard that. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because uh, he's up for election, the the new uh, the current incumbent. Anyway, uh, your favorite food? Oh, I do love steak. Um, I'd have to go steak. All right, and your favorite automobile? If you oh, I'm a I'm a uh, European. Well, even though I drive a big Ford Expedition Max, I'm a European guy, but I am waiting to um, convert to electric. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, I never have to own a car again in my life. I just wanted to show up and pick me up, drop me off. And- <laughs> That's the life I love. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Like, I, I can't wait for that. Yeah. Well, David, that wraps up our interview. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out with Mia and Derek Anthony. And uh, maybe we'll see you at the trade show down the road. Sounds good. Let me know when you guys come to Vegas for ICS. Yeah, we'll grab oh, you. yeah. We're definitely in. Thank you, sir. Take care, take care, Derek. Have a good one. Well, that was fun. I had a blast. He was, uh, that was the first time we tried the Zoom, so it seemed to work. It wasn't pixelating too bad. We got a little out music for you. So that was David Bloom from Caparati's and now Wing Zone. So they have two brands under their umbrella. Based in Vegas, going to have 500 stores in about five years. If y'all like to check them out uh, on their website, capriotis.com. Their site uh, criteria is 1,400 to 1,600 square feet, and they also are all in on the ghost kitchen concept. So with that, Mia, what do you have for Mia's Street Beats? (laughs) Well, today I thought I have a couple of concepts or a couple of articles that I read about Texas, where we're based out of, so I thought that would be a little exciting for our listeners. For sure. The first one is Amazon coming to Austin, Texas, uh, specifically Pflugerville, I think is what it's that called. That is how it's said, yes. That's what I thought. Basically, it is called Project Charm that is coming that, that is coming to Pflugerville, Texas, Uh, which is the fastest growing market in the past decade, which is awesome for them. We love all of these people coming to Texas and growing our job force. Um, I think it's really exciting, Elon Musk with Tesla and all of that. Um, So this should be bringing 1,000 full-time jobs who will be working alongside robots to pick, package, and ship small items. What does that conversation entail? Um, How you doing, Mr. Steele? My name's Mia. I work here, but uh, it's a one-way conversation. Honestly, people these days probably enjoy it. I feel like people true. have a lot of anxiety. They don't really want to have that human interaction. It's That's like when you're home by yourself with your dog and you're talking to your dog. Right. Yes. Right. This well, generation enjoys being alone. Uh, they love <laughs> kiosks. So I think, you know, I think people in Pflugerville will really enjoy it just being them and a robot. Well, Austin, Austin, um, before you were born was known as the Southwest Silicon Valley mm. because of Dell. Do you know what Dell is? I do. Okay, good. I do. Dell is still in business. Mm-hmm. And, um, and along with Amazon, they have uh, Dropbox is based in Austin. Dropbox, the oh, Dropbox that we use. Right. Google has presence in Austin. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tesla recently announced the right. Southeast part of town. 
they're building, I, I want to say it's 80 acres of a huge yeah. plant. Yeah. So Texas continues to bring game, y'all. Right. And the article I was reading basically was just stating that Austin and Pflugerville is kind of just a new frontier of Central Texas. Uh, specifically, Pflugerville is just kind of a prime location for business expansion due to its um, connectivity via the... The rail? The, or the, the 130 corridor. Now, I have a, a little segue on this. Mm-hmm. There, it, over the last 10 years, there's been a, um, a huge rail fast train concept that's been basically submitted to the state of Texas. So you can go from Houston to oh. Austin to DFW. Pretty in sure a, that in was an, in the rails when I was in high school. In an hour. Years ago. But yeah. it's it's happening. It just got a, it, the next phase got approved. Right. I, I think the hardest part with that, I think, is kind of the easement rights, um, having to go through people's properties. Can you imagine the letters that you and I send out? Think about the letters that they send out. Well, I used to be a landman, so (laughs) I know the struggles of that. There's a lot of questions to be had after you just said that statement, but okay. (laughs) Landman is an oil and gas. Oh, it's a a generic term. Yes, it's not. It's yes. It's not gen specific. It's not gender specific. We want to be politically correct on rated R. It stands for land manager for those who are listening. Not. See, I learned something. It's not gender specific. Uh, So, yeah. So as a landman in oil and gas, you kind of deal with landowners and everything. So I can only imagine the people who work for that what they're having to deal with i mean yeah i mean no mr farm owner of 300 years i'm not going to sell my property and yeah and that's the thing people don't want to you get a time out and then you have to go left and talk to that property owner what a nightmare well they're making a lot of money though you can hold out for a long time and you know yeah be the last guy to hold out to finish that rail absolutely i'll take uh, one million dollars for half an acre please one million dollars well the other thing too on that same vein is and not to segue but i i want to is that this all these lobbyists for southwest and american on the on the airline because why would i want to take a flight to austin or houston if i can get on a rail right and read my paper and not have to go in the air for people but there's been a a tremendous amount of money spent to not allow that from Mm -hmm. the lobbyists anyway carry on sorry to interrupt Carry on. Well, moving into a little bit closer to home, I kind of wanted to touch a little bit on the development in Fort Worth that's coming soon from Crescent Real Estate. I was just reading an article that this will be their first ever mixed development in Fort Worth specifically. Um, I'm pretty excited because I live in Fort Worth as well, and this will be just down the street from me off of Camp Bowie and Van Cleburne adjacent from the Dickies Arena. Um, so that's pretty exciting, and that's going to be home to a new boutique hotel with a chef-driven restaurant, luxury residential with Class A office buildings that will also house. Oh, cheers! Yes, thank you. Cheers oh, to Crescent. We do Real have a studio audience here. Did you know that we didn't yes, say that yet? They're yes. on site. No one mm-hmm. can see them, but they're here. I mean, what you just said was pretty funny. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, so that's pretty exciting. Like I said, I live here in Fort Worth, so I'm pretty excited. Um, when is that like a four-year plan or do we know so it says that it's going to be ready by mid 2023 so we've got some time we've got some time yeah but fort worth is if you haven't been again we we we're gonna push this until we're dead i love fort worth it's cow town it's got 
the high end and it's got the hey I just want to put my boots on and jeans and go out to Billy Bob's and listen to some country music it's fun yes. it's fun I feel like people have and not this, pretentious no very laid back people like people actually say hello to you wait Mia don't don't discount dial, di- Dallas I'll dial it back alright well yeah Fort Worth is a lot of fun for those who haven't been I'm not from here I'm from San Antonio and I just moved here six months ago and I like it. I think it's better than I expected from hearing from you know other people and what their thoughts on it. So I definitely recommend trying it, especially the stockyards. It's nothing like I have ever seen before. Oh yeah, you're going to step in some cow doo doo. Saying a lot because I'm from Texas. <laughs> so what else you got? Is that it? The last one that I kind of wanted to touch on. It's not huge news in the world, but I just thought it was kind of ironic because we were just talking with David. Um, and their new wing concept that they acquired, Wing Zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was about Applebee's, who is launching their second virtual wing wing brand that we kind of had spoken about. Wings are kind of the popular topic right now, and they will be opening it. I think in March today. I think as March third is when they're supposed to be opening it. It's basically a Cheetos-inspired virtual wing brand that they're having. Wait a minute. What is Cheetos? Like the, Cheetos. The snack? Like, hot, like hot Cheetos or the Cheetos brand, basically. And Cheetos has actually been doing a lot of collaborations. They did one with uh, Kraft Mac and Cheese. It was a hot Cheetos Mac and so Cheese. So it's a wing with some orangey, powdery things that taste like Cheetos? Well, it's just hot Cheetos. So it's basically this chicken tender or whatever it may be that's kind of breaded in hot cheetos okay and so it's funny because like i said hot cheetos has been kind of doing a lot of brand collaboration with with craft and everything and it's because they have such a strong cold following that people see this and then they're like let's go try applebee's let's go try this new thing um so i think it'll be really good for applebee's like i said this is their second virtual wing concept so this is not anything that's new to them but I think it's an interesting concept. I'm not huge into Cheetos, but I have to say I do think we I know, might try it. Do we know if it's one store or ten stores or so where it's is not, it? it's it's a virtual oh, wing. Okay. Yeah. So it's not gonna be actually in store. So you're gonna have to do it, I believe. On an app with, or online. Yeah. So I from my understanding, this is with Uber Eats specifically. And mm. then their first wing brand, which was neighborhood or their first virtual wing brand, I should say, was neighborhood wings, and that was with Grubhub specifically. Um, so I think that's a little odd. I'm not sure if maybe they're just using, you know, one carry out pe- person, um, company. Um, but yeah, so that's supposed to be 1300 kitchens. So fingers crossed oh one is in DFW. Cause I want to try. I mean, there ain't better. I mean, it's healthy. It's protein. I mean, you can eat like 15 and still not be full. So, right. But I think the hot Cheetos on the outside, that seems a little fishy to me. It's like putting frosted flakes on your wings or something i'm not sure well people do do that people do do that captain crunch <laughs> captain crunch is what a lot of people use to bread their corn dogs and stuff we had a place like that in norman shout out norman oklahoma boomer, boomer sooner, sooner. <laughs> for our diamond dogs love them they have a captain crunch what is it called like a corn dog captain crunch corn dog <laughs> so it's not that out of realm, I don't think. Mia, thank you for the Mia Street Beats, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. This is Derek Anthony, Rated R, Real Estate Uncensored. We're going to move a little bit 
quick to uh, Derek Stimes. I got I got a brand new article that I want to share with most of y'all here. So uh, it's about the top 10 real estate markets in the U.S. And I was quite surprised by some of these findings. It was put on by CrowdStreet. CrowdStreet is a funding platform that you or your brother or your Aunt Jane can go in and, and drop four or five thousand dollars and being an investor into some type of real estate so here's here it goes so number i'm going to start from the top raleigh durham if y'all ever been there it is beautiful it's one of my favorite cities um, in the country i'd say a top 10 but a uh, very technology driven with the triangle they're a very affordable the weather um the mountains the hiking the the i'll call it the after work life um i mean if, if y'all ever been to dfw mia it's concrete and asphalt. Absolutely. I mean, there's not a lot to do. Um, now it's 110 in the summer, so you got to go to the lake. Uh, down in Austin, there's a lot more to do, but DFW is just flat, and I think the tallest tree might be 80 feet. But um, number two on the list, which doesn't surprise me, is Austin, Texas. Three is Phoenix. Four, Salt Lake City. Salt Lake's another pretty town. One of our clients is based there, and I've been there calling on R.C. Willie back in the day and uh man it's beautiful going up to park city for an hour and uh go skiing guess what number five our hometown dallas fort worth yeehaw number six my second favorite city in the world is uh, nashville tennessee Um, there's a lot of growth going on there in nashville number seven is boston which uh surprises me Uh, i haven't been in about five or six years but uh boston number seven tampa bay as we had a guest on our last show uh, that lives in Tampa Bay, and they're calling it what, Mia? Do you remember? Tampa Bay. That's it. All right, number nine, Atlanta, Georgia. Man, that's a that's a pretty city up north in Buckhead and uh, Swanee. Shawingbada, Swanee is beautiful. And number ten on the list, which was a big surprise, is Boise, Idaho. Do you know what Actually, is made in Idaho? Potatoes. Uh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Potatoes. You were going to say something. I interrupted. You said actually what? Uh, I was going to say actually that I don't think that is surprising to me. Why? Because I heard. Don't try to Google it. I wasn't. <laughs> I was reading a, a month or two ago that a lot of Californians are. They're buying land. If you quote, if you say quote fleeing is what people say fleeing California. Um, obviously, a lot of people are coming to Texas. A lot of people are going to Tennessee, but a lot of them are going to Idaho as well. Very interesting. So I can't say I'm surprised. Number eleven, which I visited quite frequently, frequently. I'll spit it out. Uh, my sister used to live there, Charlotte, North Carolina. Love me some Carolina. Uh, Washington D.C. Number twelve, which is surprising to me. Um, I guess with all the political crap going on in the last nine or ten years, uh, Denver thirteen, Seattle fourteen. Seattle makes sense with Amazon's effect. Um, and Boeing there, uh, 15 San Francisco. Where's the bubble, man? <clears throat> San Francisco keeps just growing with the IT. We do live, and I posted something this morning about this, that we do live in the um, technology um, revolution. And and I think, you know, in, in 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to look back and see the growth. Uh, everybody thought it was the dot-com boom and the bust in 2000 and, and, and 2001. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Hopefully it won't bust. But uh, San Francisco is number 15. I, I, I have a good buddy that was an attorney that lived, lived there, now lives here. Mia, they, they had told me that 
if you make $109,000 in San Francisco, you're considered to be poverty. Yeah, I believe it. That's sad. Uh, number 16, uh, Miami. Hey. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Home of Pitbull. Number, oh, okay. Dang. Number 17, where I used to live, Indianapolis, uh, which is a great town to raise a family and uh, love Indy for, for all that it is. Orlando, number 18, New Jersey made the list. New Jersey. New Jersey. How you doing? No, number 19 and uh, number 20, uh, I'm embarrassed. I've never heard of the Inland Empire, San Bernardino and Riverside counties, which I believe is uh, Orange County and uh, Southern LA, which makes a lot of sense. So those are your top 20. If you're looking to uh, start or invest in real estate, those top 20 cities. Or relocate. <laughs> or relocate might make sense. Well, my name is Derek Anthony. This is Rated R Real Estate Uncensored. Mia, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for having me, Yeah, Dean. man. All right. We'll, we'll see you next time. Check us out at thepodcaststudio.net. Remember, the Woodmont Company, if you're looking for commercial real estate opportunities and a broker to help you out, check us out at woodmont.com, W-O-O-D-M-O-N-T.com. Again, please share this and tell your friends and family and coworkers to come listen and subscribe to us, thepodcaststudio.net. If you'd like to be a guest, go ahead and email us at Derek, D-E-R-E-K, spelled the correct way, at thepodcaststudio.net.